Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right. Welcome in. Episode 66 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, Richie said it before we jumped on here. It does feel like it's been a while. Uh, I guess over two weeks, but... Here we are. Uh, we are nine days away from the NBA draft, the annual um, time for Hornets fans to, to buckle in and get excited about that late lottery draft pick that we all anxiously await for uh, every, every year. Yeah, get pumped. You know, number 11, franchise-changing player coming in less than 10 days. Uh, so do not forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network uh, and home to queencityhoops.com. Right now, Brian and I have done, let's see, one, two uh, draft prospect spotlight series. Uh, so they're both up on queencityhoops.com right now if you want to go check those out. Uh, and we've got our last one. I think it'll be our last one. I just I don't know how we'd get a fourth one in before the draft. But, hey, we're going to try uh, amongst our lives that we have. And managing <laughs> time this time of year is not easy. So, anyways, our last one's coming out this probably Saturday morning. If we can get it in Friday, we will. So look out for that. Miles Bridges and Kevin Knox. I'll go ahead and just spoil it. Um, did some of my Knox uh, homework this morning uh, and starting to like him a little bit more than maybe I have. But that happens like, Brian, you've seen this already since we've done this. Like you think you have an opinion on a, on a guy. And then when you do a deep dive, like your opinion <laughs> on the other side is completely different. Yeah. Yep. So I'm sure that'll happen with Knox too. So that's coming. Uh, and then sports channel eight, don't forget about those guys, sports channel com. go check them out. Um, lots of good stuff up right now. I know they're, uh, college world series that did Duke win the other night or they entered, they lose to Texas tech. They, they lost. Yeah. Okay. So that was going to be Duke and Carolina in the college yeah. world series. It's like, it's just Carolina. So mm-hmm. I know sports channel eight's got some of that world college world series coverage right now. Um, they got the radio show on Saturday mornings that they continue, uh, to churn out. Uh, so make sure you check them out. Follow them on Twitter too at sports channel, the number eight. Um, all right. On that note, uh, BG, I, I kind of spoiled it a second ago. We've been deep in draft coverage. Mm-hmm. It's always we were texting the other day. It's always my favorite time of year, but it also is like sneaky stressful, but just because like you're trying to manage your time and I've never done this draft process, uh, being married, which has been an experience, uh, a learning experience for sure. Um, so yeah, what's going on other than just watching a bunch of film and, 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 you know, diving in deep with this stuff for you right now. Things are good. Yeah. This time of the year is, is interesting. This is sort of the second year I've done this now where it was Hornets centric and it just feels, it feels weird. It feels a little stressful trying to catch up because so much of basketball season I'm watching and I cover the ACC for my job. I cover the Hornets for, for, for this podcast and for sports channel late. And I just follow the NBA at large. 
So when it comes to scouting Pac-12 guys, SEC guys, Big 12 guys, international guys, it feels like I'm weeks behind, and so catching up is 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 always a bit daunting. But things are things are good. It, it's crazy that the playoffs are over within the NBA. It feels like I have free time now. I don't know what to do with myself. Like set this past Saturday. I just kind of walked around Raleigh and and casually got drunk with some friends. And it was just like a thing that I hadn't (laughs) done in a while. And it was like, Oh man, I weekends, huh, man, I kind of miss these things. So no, uh, things are, things are good in my life. And, uh, I am currently fiending on binge worthy television shows. So watch Mindhunter. I started the handmaid's tale last night, which makes me feel like I need a prescription for Prozac all of a sudden now, but no, (laughs) things are, things are, things are good in my neck of the woods. Uh, how about yourself? Yeah, no, I can't complain. Um, trying, like I said, trying to wind down, you try to get into that summer vibe, but till the draft's over, um, well, it doesn't change because then it's free agency. And if we're NBA fans, like it just eats up so much of our time. So it, it just really doesn't matter on that topic. Um, thoughts on golden state, uh, and, and kind of just where we are right now in the NBA. I mean, is this, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And I, I, I hear some takes that are like the NBA is overrated. There's no end in sight. Like it should be hard capped. And I understand that perspective, but at the same time, like it has a bunch of fans and it's exciting because it is a 12 month sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, you know, in my opinion, the best sport, the most exciting sport. And the, and the warriors are the most exciting brand of basketball we've ever watched. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's annoying that no one can figure it out and who knows how much longer this is going to go on, but I just like watching them play. Yeah. I, it's unfortunate that when it comes to golden state that you can't just sort of sit back and casually enjoy the product because they play the most fun and exciting brand of basketball I've ever seen in my entire life. It, it, it really is beautiful to watch. And a lot of guys on the team are pretty likable. I mean, I really like David West. I really like Sean Livingston. I wrote a piece about him for Sports Channel 8 last week. And it, it's been really cool to watch uh, him win his third title in four years after this basically decades-long journey he's been on coming back from that knee injury. Golden State's not just some some godless monolith. Like There is some really fun parts that make them a, a unique and special team. The only thing I will say is it's not great for the NBA in one sense that the champions seem to be such like an inevitable outcome. That's the one thing that you have LeBron playing this well at year 15, arguably the best basketball his career. I would argue against that belief, but arguably it's the best basketball he's ever played, at least offensively. And that you just knew he had no chance. And by the time he got to the fourth game, you just, it was just, I think everyone was sort of ready for it to be over with, including LeBron and the ratings for the finals weren't that good or pardon me for game four specifically. They were, they were overall very good the ratings for game four were down slightly. That's not the only measurement we should use. The, the NBA is totally fine. It's better positioned than literally any other professional league out there in the entire world. Um, I don't think that's hyperbolic to say that at all. So the warriors aren't ruining basketball at, in the least making it perhaps a little less suspenseful, which is disappointing. But if you follow the NBA, like you're in like this, it's not just who wins the championship. It's the whole, it's this whole collective community. It's the season. It's the process. I can't tell you guys how many times the last couple of weeks 
I can't believe I had these thoughts of I would love to watch the Hornets play right now. Like I'd love to watch the Hornets lose by nine points in the game right now and text you guys and interact with the same people on Twitter and, you know, tweet out, wow, Kemba's shooting these, you know, tweet out crazy Kemba shooting stats and stats that make Michael Carter Williams look not so good or complain about Frank Kaminsky's defense. Like all of that is part of this sort of year long fun conversation. It's not just who wins the championship at the end of it. That makes following this league worthwhile. If, if that were the case, then there's no way it would have this sort of, um, this sort of intense following. So no, the Warriors are not. I watched every playoff game. It was still super intense and enjoyable. And free agency is going to be a madhouse this summer, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, what I was saying before you so beautifully kind of summed it up there is that, you know, this is a 12 month sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that is what's so exciting about it. I mean, from a Hornets fan perspective, like, yeah, um, I mean, and I'm with you. I would want to watch Hornets basketball right now. I know it drives me crazy, but I'm still addicted <laughs> to it. And yeah. what I like about the draft so much is, it does provide you that one little really small skinny slither of hope that you're going to draft that once in a quarter century franchise altering player. I mean, it's not likely, but it's possible. And uh, (laughs) that's why I get excited about the draft every year um, because it provides that opportunity. And look, you know, Charlotte has been in a position in the lottery to draft a guy that can help him for for quite a long time now. So we get used to it. Um, And then for agency. (laughs) No, we're not going to be a player in that either, but we are going to have to do some things. We're going to have to make trades. We're going to have to avoid the, the tax. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to be active in a way, one, one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and look, going back to the Warriors thing for, you know, we kind of put a bow on that is they're only doing what Philadelphia did. Right. And in mm-hmm. the opposite, way, they're only playing within the rules. Um, and so you really, you can't, you can't knock them. Like you can't mm-hmm. knock Durant for making a decision for his life that he thought would better himself within the rules. It clearly works too. It clearly yeah, it, works for him. Right. It works. I mean, we just, the, the thing that I get annoyed with when it comes to professional sports and talking about how screwed up it is and how to fix it, this conversation of how do we fix blah, blah, blah. Why does anything need to be fixed? We want everything to be this perfect oasis and Frankly, that doesn't exist in any professional sport. So here mm-hmm. we have the Warriors, the best brand of basketball. You and I had just kind of discussed here back and forth, and now they're winning too much. It, 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 look, the approval rating of everything to become something always plummets, right? We all, they always become the bad guy at some mm-hmm. point. And that's where we are with the Warriors, although they've played within the rules here, and they're willing to pay a tax for <laughs> decades yeah. and decades. Yeah. You know? And and they're winning and, yeah. and it's a beautiful brand. So, you know, it, I, I hear it, the people that are tired of it, but I just would ask you, you know, you begged for a different NBA mm-hmm. and, you know, a new brand for this league for so long, for so long, and you got it. And now we, you're screaming at another problem. I mean, that's just it, it goes to show you the, the grass is seemingly always different, especially in outrage culture, 24 hour news cycle, Twitter uh, of the internet. Now, the only thing I would also say too, is yeah, golden state won. And I was just sort of saying how it seemed like it was destined to happen in, in inevitability, but like, let's not forget that the rockets were maybe a Chris Paul hamstring injury away from winning the title this year. I mean, they had, they beat golden state in game five, they're up three to two and they get one of the next two games on their home court. And it looked like, to an extent they had solved golden state 
in terms of how they wanted to guard the Warriors, something they've been obsessed with for years and years and have really perfected with Chris Paul. So once Paul got hurt, it was sort of obvious, but let's, let's not pretend like there wasn't um, a moment of doubt. Certainly after game four, after Houston tied it two two, it wasn't quite the same after game five when they won because Paul got hurt the last 45 seconds of that game. So you would, the, the doubt had sort of been removed, but man, Houston had him on the ropes for a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, um, they were up by 11 at halftime in game seven. They had an 11 yeah. point lead at halftime yeah. game seven. Yeah. Like it, it literally looked like it was getting away mm-hmm. from golden state. So I, I agree with you. I mean, that, this league's the best, you know, the Eastern Con- if you want to fix something, fix the Eastern conference, you know, and that yeah. maybe that'll happen this summer. I, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of movement and we're going to talk about more of that later. We're going to discuss LeBron, you know, Although this is just a Charlotte Hornets podcast, um, we talk about other stuff, but LeBron should play a factor in every discussion from every angle of the NBA from now leading into the draft or leading into free agency because he's he's not only going to affect free agency and free agency is not going to start until he makes his decision, but he's going to affect the draft. And we'll talk about that because the Hornets could conceivably get into that conversation. I think if... Cavs want a serious chance at keeping him. They're going to have to make a move before the draft. But again, that that's coming here a little bit later. BG, let's jump in to our top five prospects. Um, Richie threw something out on Twitter through the Buzzbeat account yesterday, uh, or maybe it was the day before. You know, name your top three to five. Um, you know, your wish list, so to speak, in the draft for the Hornets. We got a lot of reactions on that. So thank you to everybody that uh, that interacted with us and gave you kind of who you're looking at and hopeful for. With the draft next Thursday, uh, BG, I'll start with mine and then let's hear yours and then we can compare and contrast and kind of see what's different. What's alike, um, as we lead up to the draft team. Okay. So mine, Michael Bridges, I have it number one and mm. I should preface it. These are, these are just what I see as realistic situations, mm-hmm. right? Um, you could say you know, your opinion could be, Hey, Michael is definitely gone by then. That's fine. It's just what I see as is realistic for Charlotte when it's all said and done. So number one, Michael Bridges, Villanova wing. Number two, Miles Bridges. Uh, definitely think he's going to be in that 10, 11, 12 range. Uh, 6'6 wing, Michigan State. Number three, Colin Sexton, point guard, 6'1 out of Alabama. Um, number four for me is Lonnie Walker. And the difference between Sexton and, and Lonnie Walker here is like razor, razor thin. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a spread of a hair, so I, I could really lean either way there, but I'm, I'm leaning sexy just by a little. Uh, and then the last is um, Zaire Smith, Texas mm-hmm. Tech, freaky wing. So basically, what I'm doing is I'm going two wings uh, that are a little bit more switchy, uh, maybe a little bit higher defensive potential than the last three. The last three are, are more like combo guard styles. Um, Sexton a point guard, I guess, but Lonnie and Zaire are definitely combo bar style. So that's kind of how I prioritize my mm-hmm. positions and how the players uh, line up. All right, what do you got? Yeah. So as we've established uh, multiple times now on this podcast, Hornets got to look best player available. Yeah. You want to consider potential fit, but c- clearly this team, which is needs young, good young talent, best player available. Um, if that's the case, it's probably Miles Bridges or Michael Bridges at one or two. But just hear hear me out for a second. And perhaps I have a little bit of some recency bias going on because, as you prefaced this a little bit ago, too, I, we just did these deep dives for Queen City Hoops. I'm going Zaire Smith, number one. 
Yeah. I, I, I'm, I love this guy. I love this guy's game. I, I hear everybody on all of the obvious concerns that come with his, or not, maybe not concerns, but certainly red flags that come with his shot creation, that come with his three-pointer. I hear all of that. But one of those things is a three-pointer that I, I think he can, he can certainly improve on and, and get it NBA ready. He's, only, he's not even 19 years old. He's young. Um, and I just love the athleticism. I love the unselfish play. I love the ability to play without the basketball and I'm just willing to, I just want to bet on his athleticism. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But at least we can say that we were betting on a guy that we knew could defend and that we knew was athletic. I think it's a little different from MKG six years ago too. And, but even though they have sort of similar strengths as of right now, offensively, I think there's room for him to grow as a second side player. And who knows with shot creation that may never come, but even, even if he adds the three, it changes everything after that miles bridges for the same reasons you just sort of laid out. Then I've got Michael bridges, number three, um, Lonnie Walker at number four. And then I'm going, uh, Colin Sexton, number five, but you could, you could also put in Shea Gilgis Alexander in there at number mm-hmm. five. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. I, I like that. Your, your piece on, on SGA was interesting. And I, I just like the, I mean, I know a lot of teams get conned into these type of guys, but I like the, the big long rangy wing that can handle a little bit. And if the three pointer ever comes along, if the, he had some muscle, he, he's a really interesting player too. So if I had to cap it, I would go Sexton five SGA six, but you could, I, I wouldn't hate being misquoted or having those, that order flipped either. Yeah. All right. So let's start with Zaire because <laughs> although I have him fifth, I literally have asked myself, I mean, I text you right after mm-hmm. we posted our piece, I guess it was last Thursday. BG had Zaire Smith. Uh, I had Colin Sexton. I read BG's piece sitting in a coffee shop in New York City right after <laughs> we we'd finished this thing, and I'd posted it, and I and I'd text him. I was just like, "Are we sure this guy is a Russell Westbrook? Like you just yeah. some of the stuff he does is is just phenomenal. It's amazing. I don't mm-hmm. remember seeing an athlete, um, you know, at that combo guard. I just don't remember seeing an athlete like that that explosive." Mm-hmm. I don't remember the last time. I mean, now yep. that I'm watching Russell Westbrook in the NBA and you go back and you watch some of the stuff he did at UCLA, you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. There it is. Mm-hmm. Um, of course his role was way, way different, but Zaire's the same kind of guy. He's so unpolished that you can't just give him this huge offensive role. You just try to have to, you try to, you have to harness this energy and this explosiveness and, and, and unleash it somehow on the floor without him having the ball on his hands a ton. And it was kind of the same thing for Westbrook at UCLA. Like it, it really was. And the, the similarities for those two guys, just in terms of athletic ability and explosiveness is like really has me seriously thinking, could he be something like that? So mm-hmm. I completely understand where you're coming from with putting Zaire one. My thing is that every time I do a draft prospect prospects ranking every year, I always say, if it's obvious that it should be a best player available situation as this year definitely is, I agree with mm-hmm. you there. I always say that should take precedent, but also put a heavy, a heavy weight on fit too. And I, it's just, you know, kind of my nature when I do this stuff. So that's why I have guys like Michael and miles one and two, because I do want to just leave the door cracked on Kimba being here long-term mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and you should, as we should too. And, and you know, all of a sudden, if you have a Kimba Zaire monk, not that it can't work. I mean, Zaire, who knows that guy might be able to guard guys that are six, seven with no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but that becomes a, a big question mark, right? Like that takes the right coach and the right player development situation to get the most out of a big swing like that. Um, I wouldn't be upset with it, but that's just kind of my mindset, but I'm glad that you have him one. Cause I think it's totally, mm-hmm. it's exciting to have that kind of mindset. Cause I'm so close to it. And I think it's totally justified. And I think more fans should think like that when it comes to this Hornets rebuild, because that's what it's going to take a risk, a high risk, high reward situation. You said it perfectly there. It is, it is a risky pick. And look, I would be thrilled to see the Hornets draft Michael or miles bridges. They seem as compared to Zaire Smith and, and Lonnie Walker for that matter too. You know, uh, those, the, the two bridges, they have, lower, probably higher floors, but lower ceilings. Like there's their, their lower variance prospects. And there's an appeal to that because as I've said a few times on this pod before too, Charlotte just has to get somebody this year. They've had so many issues with the draft, whether it's been swinging and missing on guys like Frank Kaminsky, whether it's been trading away a Noah Vonley, whether it's been trading away a pick so you could have have more money to spend in 2016 free agency. The pick became Malachi Richardson. It doesn't look like you missed too much with that, although he's still young and maybe the Hornets could have gone in a different direction. But so you just got to get somebody. And because of that, Miles Bridges, Michael Bridges, two guys that you see valued as top 10 talents. Like if you can get one of those guys at 11, hey, that's a good night. You just You just go home and you're happy and you think, we got a big wing that can guard a couple positions. Both those guys can shoot. They have a little experience posting up, a little experience running pick and roll, shooting off the bounce some too. And Miles Bridges is a guy that I'm starting to starting to come around on a little bit more too. Just I like I like his size. I like the thought of him being a a small ball four at times. I, I like the ability I think for him to defend more forwards and therefore being able to switch onto more players, maybe a little more so than my Cal. Although I think he'll, he'll totally hold, hold his own too. I think he's a great, a great team defender, great basketball IQ, but I just, I just like the upside of Zaire and whether I think there's a very good chance the team holds on to Kemba or at least tries to run it back with him for one more year. And then, Maybe they just, yeah, I think it would be a horrible idea, but maybe they do just let him walk in 2019 free agency and they just don't want to sow any ill will with the fan base. If you do that too, then I still like the thought of having Zaire as the guy going forward. Um, you know, that they hired a young coaching staff led by a 40 year old head coach, James Borrego, this summer. Um, they hired a new young play by play guy. That's probably not too much older than, than we are too. And we'll talk about that in in a little bit here too, but there just seems to be this sort of wave of youth. And also with regards to the coaching staff, just going a little bit cheaper. This is a team that obviously wants to move off some salary too. And if they sort of see that they're on this track towards a rebuild, then having a guy like Zaire Smith, that may, you may have, you may need a year, two years to even sort of work with him to become a, a competent replacement level offensive player in the NBA, or, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a lot, maybe it's much shorter than that, but I'm, I am still willing to take a chance on that more so than to say one of these guys is the safer. I'm willing to go uh, the safer route. And again, I, miles and Michael bridges, 
they're awesome players. I think they can be starters in the NBA for a decade each. But uh, I, I'm I'm interested in Zaire. Um. So Sexton next. You had Sexton fifth, mm-hmm. I think. I have him third. But again, I, I just I can't I can't get myself on one side or the other when it comes to Sexton and, and Lonnie Walker. But let's talk about Sexton for a second. So mm-hmm. I covered him in the draft prospects piece from last week when you had Zaire and Sexton is with the ball in his hands in the pick and roll. He's the most explosive scorer. Freaky. Yeah. And he, look, he had, he really wants to get to the rim, but I I just think he's the best scorer of point guards out of the pick and roll in this draft. Now the negatives are, you know, he, he's a score first guy. He's always looking for his offense, you know, misses his teammates a lot. Um, I think he's got a long way to go in reading the floor um, and setting up, you know, other guys, weak side guys, shooters, Mm -hmm. He, he just doesn't read the defense yet. And I just don't think he sees it. <laughs> I don't even think yeah. he looks to read the defense yet. He's so strong. He really is a bull in a China shop. I mean, when he comes around the screen and his defender trails him, he gets that guy on his back and literally just keeps him there. And, and now muscles it out muscles him until that second defender and that contact comes and Sexton has no problem with that contact taking it mm-hmm. on finishing. Um, but I, I think all that's, a big time positive because those are the things that a guy like Trey young or even Lonnie Walker down the road, you know, with the, with the ball in their hands and pick and roll situations, they're not big contact guys. Right. So they're going to have to learn to play in traffic amongst the trees and still finish. It's something we talked about with Kimball Walker for a long time. It's a big time problem. And I think Sexton goes into the NBA with that skill set already I don't know if I would rather a guy have that skill set and have to learn how to set up his teammates and read hmm. defenses or the, or the other way around. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but also haven't seen a guard, a point guard like Sexton um, in a while. He reminds me a little bit of Dennis Smith Jr. They have some similarities. Hmm. Um, but I haven't seen a guy in a while as strong as Sexton. I mean, I, every single time I think about his game, the word that comes to the action word that pops in my mind first is strength. And I think that's going to play an advantage for him on both ends of the floor. You know, he's like miles bridges in the way that his body is ready to take an 82 game beating in the NBA right away. Whereas, you know, a lot of these guys, I just don't think they're, I don't think they're ready for it. And on top of that, he comes in with a skill set that also should immediately um, translate in, in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And that's why I barely lean him over a guy like Lonnie Walker. Uh, although Lonnie has a his impressive body, I wouldn't describe his strength mm-hmm. like Sexton's. Um, can play on both ends, has some two way potential, you know, all this stuff. But you know, he's he's got a long way to go in just learning a role. You know, his his role at Miami was just very cloudy, and I yeah. think that's gonna it's gonna take a few years in the NBA because of that for him because mm-hmm. he's got to learn. Sexton at least knows who he is. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to have to improve other parts, but I like the fact that he knows who he is as a, as a prospect. So if let's say hypothetically, Michael and miles are both off the board. So your wings, quote unquote wings, or at least the best available ones aren't there. I would take Sexton over Lonnie, over Zaire, over mm-hmm. FGA. But to your point, you said it earlier, BG, the difference between you know those four guys is, is pretty razor thin. I, I agree. And there's a lot to like with Sexton. If you, Go watch the film on him. It's he's really fun to watch. He he knows how to play pick and roll already. That's super important. That plus his strength means there's always a spot for in the NBA for that guy. Now, 
whether that's being a change of pace guy off the bench or that means he's a future all-star, there's a ton of variance in there, but that alone makes him, makes him ready to play in the NBA. And I think he'll get better at reading the defense. It takes time. He's never the, the more open court in the NBA with better shooters around him, I think will immediately make him a better passer without even having to like work on it that much. I just think eventually it'll just part of that will click immediately. I do with Sexton, the the fit with he and monk is like a little, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago too. The fit with he and monk, in my opinion is a little, is like a little cloudy just in terms of defensively, a offensively, both those guys want the ball. But I think, I think hopefully Malik will, will, depending on who he's playing with, know to certainly just, you know, leverage his off ball game a little bit more, but defensively, you just got to hope Malik Monk can stay in front of whomever the worst perimeter option is. And can Sexton guard big wings? Can even, you know, even if there isn't a screen or a switch involved, can, you know, is he going to be able to just go out and guard two guards in the NBA or the occasional three or whatever, because you can't probably can't stick Malik Monk on those guys. And Hey, maybe that hypothetical is so far into the weeds. I don't think it is, but maybe it is that you can't even take it into consideration because you're just looking for most talented player at 11. And if Sexton's the guy, then man, you don't even think about it. You just pull the trigger on it and you take them. The one other thing I will say about Sexton too is I do think let's just say hypothetically Charlotte decides it wants to keep Kemba Walker this summer, not trade him, or they can't find, they, they can't find a workable trade or whatever. You know, this Charlotte has to point guard someone better than Michael Carter Williams. I think they can probably figure that out. Uh, I haven't seen Richie play basketball, but I would imagine Richie can make at least a third of his jump shots. So if that's the case, that's at least a marginal improvement. But uh, I, I say that in jest obviously, but they have limited resources. They got it. They got it. They have to cut salary, but you know that they have to be able to fit this $3.4 million figure or $3.3 million figure into the books. And I, you know, you'd still get, you still got to sign up to 14 guys. So you still got to spend the money, but I do like the thought of using that slotted salary and checking that box off while also filling the backup point guard role, assuming you feel comfortable turning the keys to a 19-year-old guy to be the backup for Kemba, which has been a, a glaring issue the last two seasons. Yes, yeah, no question. And and I, I mean, look, I think you make a great point. It is definitely reason for concern <clears throat> to try to picture Sexton and Monk's defensive fit. You know, I, I wrote this in my you know, piece about Sexton at the end of, of kind of, well, why does he fit for the Hornets? Well, I, I think that he's very intriguing next to Kimba, um, kind of thinking about that first, you know, before thinking about the Monk thing. But again, it's it's important to think about that and and definitely necessary. Um, you know, I think it, I think Borrego is going to come in and he's kind of already told us this with some creative ways to, to mix his lineups up. And I, I just... I mean, I think Colin Sexton next to Kemba Walker in certain situations, certain lineups is is very intriguing and, and quickly answers the question as to, you know, what position can he really guard um, on the other end, which allows you to really accelerate his development and, and take a, a quick step forward on what the most important aspects for him are to develop in the NBA. Um, let me ask you a question. So you had you had miles over Michael, right? Yeah. Yeah. Slightly. They're splitting hairs with those two guys, but yeah. Okay. But all right. That's fine. Why miles over Michael? 
Um, it's something I think I like. Is it the upside? I I think maybe it's just like the size in general. I I feel like he's going to be able to comfortably guard more positions in the NBA. And I also like the threat of that size and strength and his ability to put it on the deck on the offensive game too. This is, we've talked about this a little bit in terms of when you watched Philadelphia and Boston play in the Eastern conference playoffs a couple weeks ago. And one of the reasons why Boston was able to advance in five games, they don't have a surplus of offensive talent with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward out, but all of their guys that were in the rotation could post up, at least the perimeter guys could post up. They could handle and put it on the deck. They could at least try to get around a defender and I'm including guys like Marcus smart or Marcus Morris too. And I just think that I trust miles bridges to be able to do that more, to be able to combat switching defenses. I like his utility a little bit more than my Cal, even though I like my Cal's jumper better. And I tend to usually favor shooters, but now I would go Michael or pardon me, miles slightly over my Cal and because of the individual shot drive creation. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to ask that question because just purely, cause I was curious. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mm-hmm. think that bridges miles bridges is hiding in plain sight. He's become this guy. No one's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been there, <laughs> you know, for over a year and a half now, he should have probably come out last year. Um, <laughs> and that stock just hadn't changed, but here he is. He did a lot to his body uh, last season, you know, shaves or excuse me, before the combine um, shaved some weight. He played with the ball in his hands a lot last season at Michigan state. Um, he shot the ball pretty well. I think about 37 and a half percent. I think that's right. I don't have it right in front of me in his two seasons at Michigan state. Um, from behind the arc that is so there's just so much to like and why he's not talked about more I don't quite understand what I like about Michael just a little bit more is just his offensive upside and I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that he can make the strides necessary with that six seven frame and seven two wingspan to not get pushed around when he does mm-hmm. have to switch I'm a little worried about the upper body strength I know we've, we've talked about this in the past you just look at him and miles next to each other and it looks like you know it looks like looking at Julius peppers next to Devin Funches, right? Like they <laughs> look like the same, like Michael's taller, but they're just, their bodies are not comparable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what you make is, is perfect. And that's why I wanted to ask just because I was curious, but I'd like, I'd like to add this too real quickly. Uh, this is backtracking slightly, but you were talking about Colin Sexton next to Kemba. I, I, one of the reasons why I agree with you and why I think it would work to some extent is because Charlotte's offense starved for shooting as much as it is. I mean, they were an awful three point shooting team this year. One of the issues was they Kemba's the best shooter they have both on the dribble and off the ball. And it was like, they couldn't really find, especially when Batum was out, they couldn't find enough ways to get Kemba open looks coming off down screens. You know, that little, uh, quick flare play. They like to run for him where he throws it to Batum at the, at the opposite foul line extended area. And then he zips towards the elbow and then sprints back out off a, a flare from Frank or, or Dwight or Marvin. And so I think what, if you had Sexton and Kemba together, you let Kemba get off the ball more. And all of a sudden Charlotte's best catch and shoot guy is running around, not just coming off screens, but he himself is setting back screens. And then he's flaring out. Think of how, Golden State uses Steph Curry off the ball 
And then, you know, he either has Livingston or, or Draymond Green facilitate and they get their best gravity player, Curry, running around causing havoc. And you could do that, you know, you could do 85, 90% of that with Kemba. Yeah. And so I'm intrigued by that. And it also takes a little bit of wear and tear off of Kemba because he doesn't have to just go one on five in the pick and roll every time down the court. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see just like I looked this up this yesterday. It's kind of amazing to see he shot pretty well at the basket this season, all things considered. But I think it was this year, 85% of the field goals he made at the rim this year were unassisted, which is up from 75% last year. So like, so I know it's not good. And so it'd be nice to see him off the ball a little bit more. It also means Sexton could be the guy guarding the top, you know, ball handling Mm -hmm. point guard. You'd stash Kemba on weaker opposing, you know, just stash him on, on catch and shoot guys, whatever. So I, I love the possibility of those two guys together. Well, and, and here's the other thing that I didn't even get in my piece and I thought about it and I wanted to get it in there, but we're not on a deadline, but you work in Tori. I always leave something out. I mean, you, you probably do go Same through here. this too. You're yeah. always like, how did I leave that out? So Same one here. of the things I'm thinking is Kimba is, I mean, he's literally trapped all, especially last season. Like he was trapped almost nonstop in pick and roll situations. And one of the things, I mean, you saw Indiana do this to, against Cleveland in the playoffs when Cleveland was constantly trapping Oladipo. They were trying to count on Miles Turner to roll down the lane and then make a play against an outnumbered defense, and he couldn't do it. So what was Indiana's counter? They finally brought Bogdanovich up to the opposite side of the floor where the trap came from, and now they've got somebody else more capable of going downhill and making a play. Charlotte hasn't had that guy. So just thinking in terms of like teams are going to continue to trap Kimba in pick and roll situations and Charlotte will continue to run those pick and rolls a lot. I'm sure, mm-hmm. but having a guy like Sexton opposite who can catch and here's the number one guy in the draft as a guard who is, a, he is attacking. I don't mm-hmm. care who he's going against. That guy thinks he can take on an army of 10 going to the rim. It's just the way he plays. So having him attack the weak side off of some kind of quick action an outnumbered defense and having to make a play or make a decision, I think is really utilizing his strengths as a player right away. Um, so that's why offensively, I think really it's a good fit with Kimba. And on top of that, I think Borrego is going to bring in creative offense, like Spain pick and roll and stuff like this. Yeah. That's love the that thought. Guy to be that back screen on the screen to screen the screener. You know, mm-hmm. He's the perfect guy and then to pop. And then it's the same kind of stuff you're attacking an outnumbered defense or, or at the very least scrambling defense from the top. So, or invert it with Kemba too, you know, have Kemba be the guy setting the back screen. And all of a sudden he's popping up, but Kemba, by the way, this past year, Kemba, this season shot 40% on catch and shoot threes, two seasons ago in 16, 17, 40 over 46% on catch and shoot threes for Kemba in 2016, 2017. That by the way, number one in the NBA on players with at least 200 attempts. He was smoking two seasons ago off the catch, and it would be a great way to get more looks for him. Did you by any chance, I can't remember, in that Sexton piece, did you by any chance throw out the potential lineup of Kemba, Sexton, Batum, like MKG and Cody? Was that a, was that something that you threw out or something along those lines? But uh, I, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm yeah. remembering that incorrectly. But so I threw out a hypothetical in both of those pieces. I'm going to pull it up right now. It'll take me two seconds. So in the Sexton piece, because now I can't remember, um, I threw out Kimba, Sexton, Monk. Monk. <laughs> Hold your breath. 
MKG and Zeller. Um, I like it. I don't even care. I like it. I like all yeah, those names. I, I think some days I wake up and I forget Nick Batum exists. Yeah. I don't like. I don't really know why exactly. I mean, I have a, a hunch of why, but sometimes I just forget he's a person. So I left him out there. He kind of has that that like deferential personality uh, a little bit too. So, um, but the the point is like I, I just I think if you lined up. Batum at the three with Sexton and, and Kemba. I mean, defensively, there, there's that's maybe a little leaky, but um, yeah, I just yeah. love I love the playmaking and the connection between those guys. And if you could throw out a, a maniac like MKG and a screen setter like Cody out there with them, um, I'm I'm interested in that lineup. Right. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was a little bit of a reach with Monk and Sexton sharing the floor with Kemba, but you know, offensively. And I'm always, I've been in a perpetual search to find a way to get to MKG at the power four position yeah. for a long time. And it, Same. so I, I hope that Borrego brings Same. some of that, but, um, all right, let's see here. We've, we discussed Lonnie Walker a lot. Yeah. I don't know that we really need to touch on him much more. I, I was really, really hot on him two weeks ago, even three weeks ago when I first really started digging deep, I'm still super high on Lonnie. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of what I said a little bit earlier uh, on this on this pod is just his role was so just cloudy from game to game was kind of weird at Miami. I mean, it just seemed like Miami kind of played the hot hand, so to speak, offensively. Yeah. Uh, and they ran to me pick and rolls that it was kind of and so many of them could do more than any game. more than anybody in basketball or certainly in the ACC last year. They run a ton of ball screens. Right. So it's like kind of playing the hot hand. And I just I wonder if he's going to be that guy who has a ton of potential out of this draft class, but if he doesn't get in the exact perfect situation, he's just not able to find himself as a player, you know, mm-hmm. before three or four years down the road when it's almost like kind of too late. Um, I don't know that. I know that's a pretty broad description of why I'm a little worried, but I, I just, it does concern me that, that maybe he doesn't know who he is as a basketball player as, as much as some of these other guys. It, it's is it a little disconcerting too with him? And again, I, I like I like Lonnie a lot. I, I'm I'm very interested in him as an NBA prospect. But that, in terms of his role being so cloudy, and I, look, I think Jim Laranega at, at Miami is a is a darn good college basketball coach. But it is a little disconcerting that at times last season, and Bruce Brown was in and out of the lineup with injuries, and he missed the last third of the season probably. But even with Bruce Brown out of the lineup. That Larinaga was putting the ball in the hands of Chris Likes, all of, who is all of five foot seven, and Jaquan Newton, who yeah. we have four years of experience knowing that this guy is an inefficient offensive basketball player, yeah. and that he was still more willing to entrust those two guys than he was to give the ball to Lonnie and say, "Hey, let's see what I got with this guy." Now, right. there's so much evidence from his time in Miami that Larinaga just didn't trust him. It's a great point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, yes. That yeah, it's kind of the roundabout way of me saying like I just I, I don't know that he knows who he is as a player. And to your point, like I don't know that the coaches quite know who who he is as a player. His look, just go watch whatever highlight tape you can find on YouTube of Lonnie Walker. Okay, he is explosive. He is athletic. He is really the prototypical combo guard guy who can do a little bit of everything on offense. And he's, he's a two way guy because he can defend at least two positions, maybe three. We'll see. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty to love, but you know, again, he's got to know who he is as a player. And I think that also means he's really got to be put in the perfect situation. And guess what? You're going to be drafted in the lottery. There ain't a lot of great situations out there. Yeah. 
Maybe uh, maybe Denver. You know, he could he could chill and like yep. learn behind Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. But even then, if he does become a player, is there even a role for him down the line? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, unless he becomes their their bench gunner or what, and they might lose Will Barton in free agency this summer too. Do you want to talk at all about some of the the wild card prospects, perhaps? In, yeah, in this- yeah. I want to save. So I you know I know I mentioned earlier that we're going to do Miles Bridges and Kevin Knox. Um, you can read about them on queen city hoops in about 3,500 words, which is the <laughs> average of what BG and I are, uh, <laughs> are, are managing on a weekly basis now. So you can read about them later in the week on queencityhoops.com. I know we talked about miles a little earlier. I want to save Knox for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, SGA, I know we've talked about him a lot. Let's discuss him a little bit. And then the a guy we haven't talked about a ton Robert Williams, we should probably touch on a little bit too. Why don't Why don't you roll it out about Robert Williams? Because I see you shaking your head right now, like you got something to say. No, that's uh, I'm glad I wanted to bring up Robert Williams too, and so I was just nodding my head in, in, in approval. So he worked out in Charlotte, I believe, over the weekend. Was that Saturday or Sunday? He, he was at the practice facility working out. Yes, yeah, Saturday. Talked, I think. Yeah, we we talked about this guy before. I mean, an absolute force at the rim. I don't have the synergy numbers right in front of me, but was one of the most efficient and productive scorers at the basket this season for a team in Texas A&M that really didn't play with a ton of space on offense. I mean, they started a front line of six, nine, six, 10, six, 11, and they packed the paint. And uh, it'd be interesting to see him as like a rim running screen setting slip dive guy. The Hornets have a lot of centers. So I'm a little, I'm a little iffy on him, but then again, I, I get triggered by my belief in taking the best player available. And if you decide for him to be that, then go for it and figure everything else out. My question to you was going to be with regard to Williams. So we just got done watching the NBA finals, the conference finals. You saw how important it was with Houston for Clint Capella to be able to switch and slide and stay in front of Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. Same thing with Draymond Green uh, coming off and being able to guard James Harden or Chris Paul. Uh, It's what makes Tristan Thompson, he's not nearly the player he was two years ago, but the fact that he can still sort of credibly do that, it makes him sort of valuable too. Do you see Robert Williams as a guy that could switch out and guard guard ones, guard twos, guard threes after a ball screen. So it's funny you ask that because it's actually like literally on my list of draft things to get done, draft evaluation to get done mm-hmm. before next Thursday is can, can Williams slide? Can mm-hmm. he literally, can he just move his feet and move yeah. laterally? That's all. If I know, if I have the answer to that, it's going to tell me so much about what I think about him as a prospect uh, the, for the little film that I've watched on him the consensus, and, and this is what most scouts are saying about him, is that, look, obviously elite rim protector. His motor runs a little hot and cold, but uh, not fantastic feet. Um, okay. And it doesn't get into a great stance when he is pulled out um, around the perimeter against ball handlers. But I'm not, I'm not sure that – I'm not sure that I'm ready to say from what little I've seen that he can't do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Rob, I think that there's real validity. The people that roll their eyes to this concept that he was playing out of position last season is dumb to me because, <laughs> because he was playing out of position. Yeah. Obvious. He's okay. If you played power forward in the NCAA and you're being 
scouted to play center at the highest level of basketball probably <laughs> means playing out of position. Yeah, probably. So, you know, and I mean, I think all the positives offensively um, are obvious. You know, he's going to roll. He's going to destroy the rim. He's going to draw gra- defensive gravity. Um, you know, but I, it's just that defensive question. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, but I hope to have an opinion um, in the early next week about what I think about Williams because, you know, one of the thi- one of the comparisons, it's not really a comparison, but one of the guys I think in, in the last few drafts that is kind of similar to Williams in his stock is in that same range area. The Hornets almost took this guy. They were they were, had a crush on him. Is Bam Adebayo? Mm-hmm. I think he's a I think he's a much more powerful player than Williams mm-hmm. is, and I think he probably is more mobile than Williams, at least mm-hmm. from what I can see so far. But yeah. If he's able to be a guy like that, now I'm much more intrigued. I think Bam Adebayo could be a future all-star. I mean, I, I just love what he could become. He's going to be an all-NBA defense guy. Like, there's yeah. no doubt. There's almost no doubt about it. He's, he, he he projects to be that good, I think. Right. Like, and he just needs Whiteside out of the way at this point. Yeah, and, agreed. You know, but to your point earlier, like a guy like Williams, if if you're the Hornets and you're saying – we love this guy and they brought him in to work him out. They obviously wanted you know, at least a second opinion on him. Um, you know, we love this guy. If he's there at 11, we're taking him. Then you need a plan at center, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't, you cannot bring this guy in. I just can't imagine a universe where you're going to bring this guy in and say you're fourth in line at center. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I, I Not mean, maybe an effective but, use probably of a roster spot either too. Exactly. Like, so that's probably, I mean, we talk about best player available, best player available, blah, 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 blah. But in this situation, because this roster really is so littered in centers, that pick just doesn't make much sense to me at all. If there's not a trade before the draft or shortly thereafter. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess one way you could do it is you either trade Cody Zeller or Aaron Gomez and then shoot Dwight Howard into the sun. And then you'd have all of a sudden you would have plenty of, uh, you have plenty, plenty of reps and practice time for Robert Williams to develop in a professional, professional basketball team. I don't think they're going to go that route. And the players association would probably frown upon the latter part of that plan. So I don't think Charlotte, even, even a thinking outside the box team is can, uh, can go that route. The, it's a little too un- uh, yeah, I do have a I do have a solution to that though. I'm pretty sure that um, shout out to our man uh, at Marion. I don't remember the rest of his Twitter handle, but you know who you are if you're listening sure. right now. I know you will be willing to not only drive him to the airport, <laughs> you'll you'll get him on the plane, and then you'll attempt to to drive this commercial jet to wherever he would like to go, fly it back. I'll pick you back up from the airport and drive you back to your house if you're willing to do it. That guy is maybe my favorite late like, Twitter or one of them. We, we have a lot of great fans that listen to this podcast and give us <laughs> feedback. That guy in his dedication to the Dwight Howard cause is, I, I, sal- I salute you, sir. You are, you are a soldier and you deserve the highest of honors and respects amongst the online Hornets community. Uh, it, it is a, it is truly a blessing on a, on perhaps a weekly basis, exclusively about your frustrations with one person who I share, I share a lot of the same sentiments. I just like how he still has the egg profile picture. That's, that's my favorite part of it. I love that too. Wait, are we sure he's not a burner account? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like Cody Zeller's burner account? Oh man. 
Or um, or it's the Plumley brother that got it's uh it's Miles Plumley. He's like pissed he got traded, so this is uh, his burner account. Um, or or shit, man, maybe it's uh maybe it's Brian Colangelo's wife. Who knows? It could maybe we just that didn't get swept up in in that scoop there. You never know. Um, you never know. I mean, gosh, the the, the possibilities are endless here. Endless here. Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, there you go. The um. Otis Smith, why not? Let's just keep throwing out. Yeah, Pau Gasol, just all, Mike D'Antoni, all the people. James Harden, why not? Daryl Morey, it's definitely Daryl Morey. That's, that's it is. Um, wow. But one of the other names I wanted to throw out too. Um, he's worth touching on, even though we we've discussed him plenty. And I think the only reason why we haven't gone into him even more. It's to be honest, it's similar to Malik Monk probably a year ago, but it's because we don't think he's going to fall to us or pardon me. We don't think he's going to fall to Charlotte and that's Wendell Carter out of Duke. And I just want to have my, I just want to, in terms of doing due diligence, I want to mention this guy's name because I think he can really be a player. I think this is a guy that can switch out and guard multiple positions. I think this is a guy that can hold his own against post defenses uh, against again, well, pardon me while defending post-ups smart, strong, steady base knows how to use the baseline as an extra defender. So fundamentally skilled on both ends of the court, unselfish can impact the game in more ways than shooting the basketball rebounds, starting the break, making plays in space on short rolls or when people ice pick and roll. I just, I love this guy's game and I think it's going to translate quickly into the NBA. And I think eventually he he can maybe even be an, an all-star level big guy in the NBA. I, I really, I feel strongly about Wendell Carter as an impact player. Um, and yeah, and he's going to be there at 11, but boy, it would be nice. Yep. Uh, I was <clears throat> doing some stuff on him last night. Um, ESPN actually, they, <laughs> what used to be draft express, basically they're just holding hostage until like two weeks out from the draft. And now they're <laughs> releasing everything. So that's, it's basically the content and the quality is just as good. It's just, we didn't have six months to, yeah. to dive deep. So anyways, I was watching, um, you know, their hit and video scouting video on window last night. And I think, I think it's super well done as they all are, but I think it, it does do a good job at, at focusing on, on the, his biggest weakness or biggest question mark. And, you know, PG, you said you think he can switch out and guard multiple positions. Um, you know, along the process for me, it's been, if he's going to be a five in the NBA, which I think he probably should be, but I do see a universe where he could be a four. Just he's like a, a farther along Derek favors offensively when he mm-hmm. came out of Georgia tech, you know, and, and that means, okay, maybe he can play some four, but yeah, when he switches out against guards, can he survive, you know, and, and can he hedge hard, move his feet and recover? Um, I don't, you know, he showed that uh, to me, you saw him more in person, BGB is pretty inconsistent with that at Duke. And they played um, zone so much too, that right, by point never, in the year, you couldn't even evaluate it. Yeah. Then it was, it was hard to tell, but you know, I, his feet are slow to me. They just, they, you know, it, as skilled as he is and as smooth as he is as an athlete is how many offensive moves he has in the arsenal. As you broke down there a second ago, he he does appear to struggle to move in space, mm-hmm. um, to keep up, move laterally. His feet just kind of glue to the floor. He can get up and block shots and affect things because he's so good at going straight up. You know, he's not some elite, uh, you know, shot blocker. Um, and he can get up and dunk the ball and put it back. But you know, the synonyms of him being not an explosive leaper and a little mm-hmm. bit slow with his feet 
you know, worrisome. A little bit, you know, and more just because of the position he's going to be asked to play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I wonder about that. But, I mean, he for me, too, I agree. I mean, if he falls to the Hornets, he's the guy that I want. I think he mm-hmm. can be a great player. I'm not sure he'll be an all-star, but I think he yeah. can get damn close. Um, I may have gotten a little caught up there a second ago, mid, mid, uh, it's completely, no, it's, it's feasible. I mean, there's, there's definitely a universe. I mean, it's just hard with Carter as it has been with a lot of prospects in the past. I just always go back to the Carl Anthony Towns one because I just can't believe when he got to the NBA, I couldn't believe what he was capable of doing Mm -hmm. of what he was able to show at Kentucky. And I, think Carter could be very similar. Like, and he's, he literally said it, I think after it, maybe it was at the combine or I don't know where he was getting interviewed. Yeah. He's like, look, I just don't think I've been able to show what I can do. And if that's the case, and this guy has some athletic explosiveness and just zest to him as an athlete quickness that we didn't know he had, then yeah, absolutely. He could be, you know, a five plus year all-star. Um, it was just so crowded at Duke and playing yeah. with Backley. I just can't imagine how hard it would be to play with a guy who, just will not move the ball at all. Like, some of his, some of Carter's best games are the ones when Bagley didn't play. I, I keep hearkening back to this, but I covered the game in Durham against Louisville without Bagley and Carter making plays in space in the middle of the floor. I, I thought it was the, be- I thought it was the by far the best game he had all season. And he he put he played twenty five really good games this year at Duke. But I thought I thought this one sort of. Um, I thought this one sort of stood out. Uh, there was one other point I was going to make on two things on Carter real quickly. One, do you guys know the other school he almost went to over Duke? Do you guys remember? I think it was actually the school that he he picked Duke over this other school. Do you remember who? Do you, okay, Richie, any, any guesses? SMU, SMU. Ah, close. Not quite though. Although I do, <laughs> I have heard that SMU is called the Harvard of Texas. So maybe that's the, uh, a kid, but it was, he was considering strongly going to Harvard. Oh, wow. And I love the thought of what Wendell Carter would have done playing in the Ivy league last year. Like some six, six center from Dartmouth is trying to defend Wendell bleeping Carter. He would have averaged 35 and 22 in the Ivy league. on like 62% shooting. It would have been amazing to watch yep. him just destroy the Prestons and the Jacksons and the Jasons on the block all season in the Ivy League. I kind of wish we could have seen it happen, even though he, it was he either would, we would be talking about him as the number one pick or he wouldn't be considered a first round pick. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like it would go one way or the other. So that would have been fascinating. Per- perception is a funny thing. I also do think too, I want, I want to make a, a quick point because we were just talking about Carter's ability to defend and defend in space and switch Man, it's crazy to see how quickly we've gotten to this point with all these big guys. Like we ask ourselves that question about all of these dudes. We just talked about it with Robert Williams. Everybody's wondering it with DeAndre Ayton. Everyone's wondering it with Mo Bamba, Marvin Bagley. Jaron Jackson is maybe the one guy we feel pretty comfortable in projecting him as is a guy that should be able to comfortably switch. But the league is just it's become so three driven and switch heavy that you got to wonder how these guys are going to be able to defend 25 feet from the hoop. It's just, it's crazy. This is probably something that I don't, four or five years ago, you weren't having to consider. And now it has to be in the conversation for every single one of these guys. It doesn't matter how, how good they are offensively either. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, exactly. I mean, the positionless NBA um, combined with the big that can, 
you know, be positionless. I don't know if Bays can be totally positionless, but, you know, can guard three, four, maybe five positions in, in certain situations is fascinating. And just how fast the game has changed is fascinating. But look, let's, we'll kind of end this segment with talking these draft prospects. I just want to say, you know, the bigs in this draft is without question the most interesting, you know, subplot here because mm-hmm. I just, I still have a hard time believing that Aiden Jackson Bagley Bamba and Carter are all going to go in the top eight. I yeah. Just, I, I don't, I mean, probably it, it's hard to imagine those first four not going in the, even the top five, mm-hmm. but in an NBA that values wings that can mm-hmm. switch and be versatile. So, so much, this is a, a draft dominated by bigs, which is yep. very ironic. So yep. I would just watch that subplot because I could see things starting to change, at least for one of these guys. Carter mm-hmm. would be the obvious candidate, mm-hmm. you know, into early next week, but, mm-hmm. but we shall see. All right. Let's all right, let's talk LeBron. Um, you know, this is something everybody's gotta talk about right now because mm-hmm. of what we kind of said earlier, it's gonna affect everything that happens from this day moving until the end of free agency into next season. Um but throw to you first. Let's both make a prediction about what he's going to do real quickly. And then let's talk about I'll throw out another hypothetical. If neither one of us predict that outcome and how the Hornets can kind of get involved in this. So BG, what is LeBron going to do here? So I would love to see him go to Houston in a way where Houston also didn't have to part ways with Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker and could build a trade around Ryan Anderson and a third team. That seems so, so profoundly unlikely that I don't want to really truly entertain it. I think there's a good chance in, in Philadelphia it makes a lot of sense too. batting odds from Bavada came out yesterday, had the Lakers at number one. And I think there's a really good chance that he, with all that cap space in, in Los Angeles and they can fit two max contracts pretty easily into the books this year. Some interesting young players. I, I don't know if he values Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball as being ready to win right now, but if he could team up with Paul George or, or Chris Paul out there, Chris Paul is a good friend of his, um, that makes the Lakers a very, very interesting landing situation. And I think it makes them, as of right now, the front runners to, to land him, even though I think they're probably a little too young and it's in the Western Conference. So that's a mm-hmm. huge red flag. The one other thing I would want to bring up, and I did a radio hit in Greenville yesterday afternoon on, on 94.3 The Game with my, my buddy Josh Graham. And one of the ones I threw out was the possibility of Boston. Um, if you could look at these things in a vacuum, these, you know, either where he could sign or where he could opt into the final year of his contract and then be traded, um, Boston makes the most sense. They make the most sense for basically anybody in a trade because they have the most assets, right? They have the most fluid roster and they have a skilled front office. So it's no surprise they they ring to the top. But if Boston could build a trade around Kyrie and a third team like the Suns or the Knicks to take Kyrie and get a superstar and then the, the, the Knicks could get some draft picks like let's say – the, the Cavs will get some some draft picks in return for this. Uh, like, the, like if it was the Knicks, I think it would be the number nine pick going to Cleveland in this three-team swap. But I just love the thought of LeBron, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford together. Like that's a lineup that can contend with 
the Golden State Warriors position by position, and it's in the Eastern Conference, and it's with arguably, or perhaps not even an argument, one of the two or three best basketball coaches in the world right now in, in Brad Stevens. So I love the prospects of him going to Boston. I love the thought of Jason Tatum getting to play alongside him. I just don't know if they can swing a deal with Kyrie, if that looks like that's bad faith on their part, um, or if Kyrie with only a year left on his contract is going to have that many suitors because he can become an unrestricted free agent in 2019. But so Boston and, and Los Angeles, those are the two teams that I've sort of circled, but plenty of other teams make sense too. Um, yeah, very interesting with Boston. I, I've thought a lot about that too. Just my quick reaction on that is, I, yeah, with Kyrie, I just, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite sure why LeBron would do it in the scenario like you threw out, where you know he opts in, and then yeah. you know he's got the flex. It's one season. He has mm-hmm. the flexibility for the next season to do what he wants, and then Kyrie. I mean, it's starting to sound like he's destined for new york now to be honest mm-hmm. um here a year from now so i mean that guy just so weird yeah, um he's a character man yeah no kidding la i think that that is the, that would be my prediction right now mm-hmm. um you know the cap space is obviously one of the big draws i, I think that lonzo would be traded in that situation mm-hmm. i just don't think lebron would want to and you look like the big baller shit is, is like gone now. I mean, we never, yeah. we never hear about it anymore. And, you know, it didn't, it was just, it was, you know, it was a, a comment, right. And, you know, it was a flash in the pan, comment through the sky, whatever. But I, I just think that they can't play together. How does Lonzo play with LeBron and how does that family take on like Lonzo have not having the ball in his hands? You know, it, I just, I don't know how that works. Um, I don't think it does. I think LeBron comes in and he's like, all right, well, this kid's got to go. You know, we're this family. We're shipping them to, to ship them back to Europe, you know, take them over there. Not going to be on my team. Yeah. So I think that would be the first move that would have to, they'd have to make. And so maybe the Lakers could get something for that, to be honest. Um, I would would say so. And then, like you said, I mean, I, I I think it's (laughs) the Chris Paul thing, like, I, I'm sure there was some kind of, yeah, we'll pay you, you know, when they traded for him. Yeah. Just opt in. We'll pay you a year from now, the five year max or whatever. But I, I just, I don't trust Chris Paul <laughs> to be honest with you. And I just think that he could easily leave Houston and mm-hmm. go to LA, join LeBron, join Paul, join Paul George. And you know, that's probably the best shot of beating the Warriors right there. Paul George, Chris Paul, LeBron, some young young talent that gives you energy on a nightly basis and, and, and wings out there that, that can switch a lot of stuff. I mean, I think that team matches up pretty good with Golden State, but yeah. Um, the only other team I would throw out there, somebody mentioned this to me. Actually, my buddy mentioned it to me about two months ago and I kind of like at that time laughed, but I, I think it is possible that LeBron could go to San Antonio and nobody's yeah, talked about it. It makes um, sense too, man. I, I just, you know, his, his love for Greg Popovich has been long discussed and, and long noted. And, you know, I just think that like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, that combination is, whoa, uh, yeah. it, it could be super special. Now I don't, you know, San Antonio doesn't have as much room to operate as some of these other teams. Um, they don't have the assets that Boston has. They don't have a cap space. Lots of, you know, the Lakers have, but, you know, when LeBron wants to come to your team, that attracts at least one other piece, and you just figure it out. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, Greg Popovich, you know, he's like having a half other player on the floor. 
Um, so I don't know. I would just keep an eye on that one. But my prediction right now is, is the Lakers as it stands. Yeah. And don't look, don't count out Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is a good segue. Neither one of us brought up as brought up this situation as our prediction, but to me, and I, I would like to see if you agree, BG to me, Cleveland's only chance of keeping LeBron is making a trade before the draft here to, to use that number eight pick mm-hmm. as leverage, <clears throat> Uh, try to get more, extract more value out of it than maybe a lot could see possible here and, and get a player um, and also a, a pick, maybe a late lottery pick. Yeah. You know, just swap picks here. So, I mean, I think it's something we've been talking about for a long time. I think it's the Kimball Walker trade mm-hmm. to Cleveland um, with, I don't know. I mean, I've heard Kimba and Dwight. Can Dwight mm-hmm. help that team, um, you know, in exchange for the number eight pick and some salary filler? Um, you know, possibly a young player. It, it, it involves Kimba somehow, but I think, I think we'd be stupid to say that's not in play. And, and look, and if Cleveland, you know, if they they take Kimba from us and we get the eighth pick, and then I don't know, I'm I'm blanking on a player right now that would be promising from Cleveland that, that we could get. You know, I still think it's a win for them in, in some ways. Jetty Osmond, maybe. Jetty Osmond. Jetty you know, Osmond. Possibly. I think if you're Charlotte, yeah, you have to ask for something else. I mean, just the eight eleven swap, yeah, and Kemba is not enough. But no, you, you got to ask for something else. If you can get a future first, or at that point, at least, like seriously, I know that some people are going to roll their eyes, but at least you get something from Kemba because, again, like, what is his incentive to stay in Charlotte after next season? What is it? I'll be happy to wait. And if you want to say, well, Kyrie Irving is going to New York, right? So where's he going to go? Well, there's <laughs> other places in the NBA uh, mm-hmm. than New York. Uh, the, the team that no free agent wants to go to right now for all-stars to go to. So I, I just don't understand why Kimba would stay. But back to my original point, I think we'd have to get a little more back than just that 8-11 swap and maybe a guy like Shetty. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Cleveland doesn't have a ton uh, in the pipeline in terms of like young, interesting talent outside of uh, really outside of uh, Osman, who, who, I, who I do like some of the other interesting things with Cleveland's roster too. just a quick point. Like if, if LeBron does leave there, then boy, let's watch the trade market for Kevin love. Cause all of a sudden that starts to become a thing too. Like you lose LeBron you may as well try to just tear the whole thing down, shed salary and stuff like that. And I would imagine a guy like, well, a guy like Kevin Love would become um, a very interesting uh, trade piece here. And some other interesting salary that they could throw around to match. Uh, J.R. Smith is going to make uh, made 13-8 this year. He'll make 14-7 next year. George Hill, 20 this year, 19 next year. He'll make $18 million in 2019-2020, but that is non-guaranteed, or at least a large chunk of it is non-guaranteed to my knowledge. So those are some interesting salaries you could throw around to match if some other guys got in the mix, you know, Nick Batum, Dwight Howard, et cetera. Would you do, would you do Kemba eight eleven swap for, and let's say lamb mm. for love mm. and take on one of, I don't know. I don't have their books right in front of me, but take on one of like J.R. Smith or Thompson. Uh, I would hesitate. I just love's not doing much for me if, if I'm Charlotte, unless you think you could turn around and then flip him for something else. Um, yeah. it's just, if you move Kemba, I just think it's, it's time to reboot. 
and just st- start to bottom, like top to bottom, just reboot the whole thing. And and love so love. Yeah, and that's sorry. That's the problem with Cleveland. They just don't have those expirings that make a deal like that attractive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They they just they don't. Um, It's the way it goes. So uh, you know, I I don't. I'm not crazy. I I think Kevin Love is an awesome player. He can still be an impact player for contending teams, but that's not really the point of what a transact. Like that that doesn't move the needle for Charlotte at all. So I, I wouldn't do that. Only to jump up three spots in the draft, piss off all the fans by trading Kemba. Like I just don't, unless there was some kind of future first round attached to it. I'm really, I'm, I'm putting the phone down pretty quickly on that one. Yeah. And that is, that really is the key. It's, it's that future pick that just gets somebody to part ways with it. If it's, Mm -hmm. you know, if the original attractiveness to a deal in trading Kemba is just like a three slot swap in this year's draft. And I just don't think anybody's going to part ways with that. You know, I Mm -hmm. really don't, but look, we've talked about this a lot too. There's going to be a lot of desperate teams this summer and, and 99% of those desperate teams are not going to have any cap space. So Mm -hmm. that's going to raise the trade price um, to get an all-star caliber player like Kimball Walker. So that continues to be the point of leverage for a team like Charlotte, who has got their finger on the reset button, hadn't quite pressed it yet. And, you know, is entering an an uncertain summer. I mean, you brought this up many times, BG. We've talked about it a ton is, you know, the summer 2016, how unlucky Charlotte got with that cap spike. Those bad contracts, you know, I always think about what is, you know, is this a summer where the basketball guys kind of give back to the Hornets where again, there's no money out there. There's no money out there, but there are a lot of teams that want to improve. So they got to do it via trade. And so Mm -hmm. the teams that really aren't looking to acquire better players in a trade, but are looking to acquire some assets, those teams that want to improve might be, you know, more willing to part ways with more assets because they don't have money. So, you know, Charlotte can get in the mix and you've got to be creative when you're thinking about homes for Kimba. But, you know, as we talk about this LeBron situation, what Cleveland's going to do, I think you naturally kind of connect the dots and say, you know, Kimba, LeBron, I mean, that, that's certain. It makes a lot of sense. Would attract LeBron. Yeah. When, when we were looking at hypotheticals mid season for Kemba, Cleveland was a team that we definitely pitched ideas about. Um, they were look. This is before they swung all the the that all those crazy deals at the deadline. But they were clearly looking to upgrade. And Kemba at the trade deadline was the best player that could hypothetically be available. And now things are a little different. And his contract is effectively expiring. You're only getting one playoff run out of him. And this just might be a wacky summer in general. So he's probably not the top trade chip to be had if if he was on the market. But he's still a damn good one, and um, that's w- worth keeping in mind for Charlotte. Although things might – I mean, we're, what, almost a week out from the draft, nine, ten days out? So things yeah. would have to move pretty quickly too. Yeah, I, and I would expect – I mean, it works like this every year. You know, We'll get to Monday morning, and rumors and reports, it, stuff will be flying around. Um, and again, I expect trades to be discussed a lot more a lot earlier this year than they usually are. Um, just because of the, the state of the NBA and the the very choked off cap situation for all mm-hmm. these teams. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, aka Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. 
we wanted to give a shout out to our big friend uh, of the podcast for a long time. That's Chris Kroger um, was named the new radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets um, here last week. Uh, again, friend of the show. Awesome dude. Um, if you follow him on Twitter, you know, you know how knowledgeable he is. You know how funny he is. You know how really he just covers this team in a lighthearted, but also very, very um, smart way. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed, you know, what he's brought to the table in, in terms of Hornets coverage. So I, I think it, it's pr- pretty obvious that I think Charlotte made the right decision here mm-hmm. to take over. I mean, fill the shoes of Steve Martin. Geez, that's that's not easy. Uh, but Chris Kroger, I don't, I don't think you can find a better guy to do it. So congrats to, congrats to Chris. I, I echo all of those thoughts. Chris, by the way, is the youngest play-by-play voice in the NBA now. Only 30, 31 years old. So when he was born, that was when Steve Martin started started calling games for the Hornets, which is crazy. But it was such a it's a slam dunk. Pardon the horrible pun there, but it's a slam dunk hire. It's been so cool to see how excited he's been on Twitter. He came on Sports Channel Eight, the radio show, with us. And I passed along a warm congratulations from Buzzbeat, but I'm glad we're getting to to do another one here. And if if I could selfishly speak about this a little bit, like. There's a chance. I mean, there's there's a there's a chance that without Chris, like I'm not even doing honestly, the, like I'm not even doing the podcast with you guys. He, Chris Kroger, and at Baseline Buzz, another another friend of ours in the in the Hornets universe, and then probably you, Spencer, were probably the first three guys that started uh, about two years ago. Started sharing some of my nerdier, statty Hornets tweets out there. And Chris was one of the first guys to support me and, and give my, you know, kick my stuff out to a wider audience. And I'm super grateful for that. And, um, yeah, looking forward to having him come on the, uh, the podcast at some time again. Yep. No doubt. I mean, I, and I'm glad you said it that way. I mean, he's one of those guys that had a lot of influence out there in, in Hornets Twitter community and just social media community in general. And he's always been very, very kind to us. Um, you know, sharing our stuff and, and he's had the same effect on me, BG. I mean, a big, a big, uh, motivator of mine. I mean, when you get, uh, recognized from a guy like Chris, you know, who, who's in the midst of it and has been for a while for the Hornets and, and radio and Charlotte, it, it motivates you to keep mm-hmm. going. Um, so yeah, big time props to Chris and congratulations to him. So the last segment really, really wanted to, uh, to dig into here, was just a trade hypothetical. I know we just kind of did one of those, but <laughs> with all these reports coming out, um, and really you saw there was one today, I think it was the ringer had it. Um, Memphis at number four and Sacramento at number two are very, very interested in trading out of those spots and trading back into the draft. Um, I think maybe it included Dallas as well. So hmm. who picks five? Now, you don't know who's sharing this information, you know, who's <laughs> why it's getting out there, who's trying to create the leverage, but we'll, we'll play to it regardless. So I asked BG to come up with a hypo- hypothetical trade that gets the Hornets into the top four. Um, I'll do the same. We'll quickly run through this. All right. I've got the Hornets getting to number two in the draft. Hmm. By trading Cody Zeller and Kimball Walker. Mm. For Zach Randolph in his two years remaining on his deal for about 12 a year, Garrett Temple, an expiring contract for $8 million, and Harry Giles coming back home. And he's, he's on his rookie scale deal that's very, very cheap. So what you get there is 
basically you get the number two pick and you get Harry Giles um, for Kimball Walker, Cody Zeller, and then obviously you're, you're sending 11 to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think Sacramento would do that, but mm-hmm. we talked about before we jumped on the show here. Yeah, when Sacramento is rumored to want to do anything, uh, <laughs> call them. <laughs> pick up the phone and call and just see. <laughs> so that that's my hypothetical trade that, according to the trade machine, would give the Hornets eight less wins next year and would give mm. the Kings five less wins. Excuse me, five plus wins. So it would keep mm. them in, in purgatory and send us more in the direction where we want to go, which is not being good. And on top of that, it gives us a shot, obviously add a Luka Doncic or yeah. uh, Jaron Jackson or a Marvin Bagley. I mean, whatever mm-hmm. tickles your fancy there. All right, BG, yep. what do you got? I, I'll, I'll say real quickly too. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have not given up on Harry Giles. Like I'm keeping that flame alive. Um, if that guy gets healthy, maybe that's a huge if, but um, I agree. Yeah. Boy, they they, I still think there's tremendous value in that guy on a rookie scale contract and fingers crossed he can get healthy and play up to, no, you know, who knows what percentage of his potential. Cause he, he was certainly thought of as a, as a special guy. I got to cover him up close to Duke last year and, and I, I want it badly for him to have a good pro career. But, um, and by the way, sp- spread pick and rolls with Cody Kemba and, and buddy healed space in the floor. Like, I, I like the sound of that a little bit too, that, that, that if I'm a Kings fan, um, but my, my hypothetical and hey, I'll just say this, all these deals are tough. Um, it feels like, you know, top four teams, you know, they're technically in rebuild mode. Um, it feels like it would be tough to unearth them from, from one of those picks, unless you somehow get a, maybe get a third team in there to, uh, facilitate. I thought Phoenix would have been a little more interesting. They hadn't ended up with the number one pick, but alas, here we are. So anyways, my hypothetical, all right, guys, I'm staying in the good old Southeast division. I'm checking in. I'm calling down South to I down the, to our I 85 brethren. I'm calling the Atlanta Hawks. And here's what I'm doing. I'm sending Kemba Walker. I'm sending Frank Kaminsky or Julian stone. Who's non guaranteed in Atlanta could wave and the number 11 pick. And then return. I'm getting the number three pick from the Hawks. And I'm getting a guy that I'm not crazy about as a player, but I'm getting Dennis Schroeder. Oh Lord. And the only other thing that I would maybe, if I'm Charlotte, I maybe try to weasel the number 30 pick out of the Hawks too, which they Houston is owed via Houston for them. It's the last pick of the first round. So here's some of my thoughts with all of this. Um, look, Dennis Schroeder is not happy in Atlanta. Everyone, literally everyone knows that. Charlotte would be buying way too high on Schroeder. I'm not a fan of this guy as a player. We really haven't been in, in several, since he signed his extension. Dude has off the court issues. Um, and he's not quite as young as you think. Like he'll be 25 by the start of next season, but still three years younger than Kemba. He signed through 2021 at an average of one point or pardon me, 15.5 million a year. So that's pretty steep. And you're adding on more bad long-term salary. You know, he signed through the same year that uh, Nick Batum is, but maybe if you can figure out a way to get uh, multiple first round picks and back for this, including that number three pick, which you could use on perhaps Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson, uh, Deandre Ayton, you know, whomever is in that top five. And, you know, it'd be great if somehow in this hypothetical Charlotte could try to extract John Collins 
or Darian Prince, but I can't imagine Atlanta is too keen on parting ways with those guys. And one of the other little variations I was sort of sessing out a little bit was you add Michael Kidd Gilchrist to this trade as opposed to Frank Kaminsky. But then you'd have to figure out some sort of like Dwayne Dedman would have to pick up his like the salaries get tricky. You would need, you know, Dwayne Dedman to pick up his six point three million dollar option for next season. That's probably unlikely. There's some free agent bust with him or Mike Muscala to pick up his five million dollar option next season. That's probably a little more likely. But yes, that's my deal. It's Charlotte taking the eleventh pick, Kemba Walker, Frank Kaminsky, and trading it to Atlanta for Dennis Schroeder and his crappy contract, the number three pick, and hopefully the number 30 pick, or, you know, some second rounders. So there's just some other draft filler basically in there. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the, I like the concept of the trade. Um, if you can get number three and number 30, yeah. um, the first thing that came to mind, maybe throw that 55 tr- in there, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that swings the scale a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. And that would be important because Charlotte in that deal would be sending out three players, getting back one, mm-hmm. two draft picks. Yeah, 55 would be important because it would help you build out a roster that would, you know, you, you can't in free agency, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think that's important. Good point, Richie. Uh, yeah, the first thing that came to my mind was Dennis Schroeder and Dwight Howard yes, on the same that team. first thing I've that came to my mind. Yeah. I've got a note. I've got a note that with that too. Me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but like at that point, who cares? <laughs> Dwight's coming off the following year and oh man, but like we, you would, Oh God, we would have to bite so hard next season. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause we would be taking it in the, you know, where, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. boy. That would be a circus. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. I don't, I don't think, I think Charlotte has negative interest in bringing those two guys together for all of the obvious reasons. Um, it just goes against any sort of culture that was established during Steve Clifford. I was just looking, it just, I was trying to think of teams that would be looking for a point guard. And I do think, I, I think Phoenix would maybe be in the market for that, but I don't think they want to come off the number one pick and Sacramento has Frank Mason and deer and Fox. And I mean, who knows if either of those guys materialize and then yeah. the Memphis has Mike Conley, who's past his prime, but they still have him on the books and he's super expensive and when healthy is still pretty damn good. So yeah. And Atlanta too, like if they're interested in like getting in the mix in the Eastern conference, ag Kimba, you know, take, you know, take on stone then wave him. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you don't have to pick number three. You could even move 11 if you want. Now you've like, you're starting to create some cap space exactly to, to improve. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually like to trade If, if they, if Charlotte's getting three 30 and 55, uh, or whatever it is Atlanta has in the second round, I would say, yeah, I pro- let me think about it, but I might do that. The 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 only thing is the the the, the second round pick, the fifty five, that would be outgoing. I, and this like that's Charlotte's second yes. round pick. And Atlanta Atlanta has a second round pick, but I do think there are some restrictions on it. So I'm not even sure. It's like it's like in the thirties. I'm not even. I need to double check, but I'm not oh. even sure if that second round pick is like is movable. You know I what I mean? You. I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Charlotte says 55. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's true. It, there might be a rule against the Hawks actually trading everything they have in the draft in one transaction. Or, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if you could get, God, if you get three picks somehow in a deal yeah. in that deal, that would be huge. I, I might do it, but yeah, that's, that's close, man. I mean, those are the ones that you have to think about BG because 
you just have to be realistic about what the market is for Kemba. Um, and a trade like that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for both sides. Again, if you could, if you could strip away the, the issues with Schroeder and the, like the just spike that he and Dwight Howard have for one another, it, it may, it, it's, it's once you start to add that, that context back in that it starts to, it, it becomes a bit of a head scratcher. And again, Schroeder Schroeder signed for the next three seasons too. So you're, you're taking on long-term salary, you know, close to $50 million over the next three years for this guy. That's not ideal, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's tough to work any of these other moves for a top four pick. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it really is. It really is. But I, you know, I wanted to press just think out loud about <clears throat> a, a, a situation where Charlotte could jump up and really shake this whole rebuild up, which, you know, if, if this report is true, if there's any sliver of truth to, to, you know, Memphis or Sacramento or these teams wanting to jump out, I, I think Charlotte's absolutely going to pick up the phone and call and try to figure out, all right, what is it, what is it that you're looking for? We don't mm-hmm. have much, but we do have something. His name's Kimball Walker. Are you mm-hmm. interested? I mean, that's how you, that's how you accelerate and, and kind of press fast forward on a reset. So, uh, if the opportunity's there, cup checks, pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, we covered a lot. And, and as always, we, yeah, you're probably not still listening. If you are Hey, shouts out to you, man. Um, because we've rambled for about an hour and a half. Um, Richie, I know you've uh, jumped in here a few times. What do you think? Did we leave anything out? Is there anything else we need to cover? Are there any tw- Twitter questions we need to get to real quick? No, I mean, no Twitter questions. Uh, just a lot of, uh, you know, a handful of, uh, people on Twitter giving their takes on their top three and, mentioned some of the same players that you guys did it's funny because uh you know brian mentioned zyre smith and i scrolled down through all the comments through twitter not one of them had zyre smith in their top three uh maybe if we extended it to the top five they probably would have um and then a lot of people said Knox as well and i don't think either of you guys mentioned Knox in your top five yeah no he was an honorable mention but again we'll have uh you know i'll be covering kevin Knox in our last draft spotlight uh of the series on queen city hoops and bg will have miles bridges that's coming out either friday or saturday on queencityhoops.com so um all right well let's wrap this thing up uh we'll hopefully be back one more time before draft night um i don't know which day it's going to be next week we're going to try our best to get one more episode in because i'm sure there's going to be a lot more news come down uh, the hill here before next Thursday. Uh, and in addition to that, we're discussing, um, the specifics to some kind of buzz cast on draft night, probably after the 11th pick or whenever it is, we, we do pick. Um, but we're not quite sure what that's going to look like, but we will be, we will have some kind of buzz cast that night. So go ahead and mark your calendars for that. Uh, it won't be the four hour marathon we had last year. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed that, but, uh, we'll have something for you. So, all right, don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Check out almightyballer.com for tons of other great content out there, uh, especially in the summer. I mean, I think the, <laughs> this podcast network does a really, really good job of, of making a lot of fun with the draft and free agency mm-hmm. and all the different storylines. Um, so I, I think that's really this podcast strength. So check them, uh, all that other stuff out. Uh, Sports Channel 8. Don't forget those guys, sportschannel8.com, at sportschannel, the number eight on Twitter. And then obviously, once again, queencityhoops.com, the home of BuzzBeat. Um, check out our draft coverage. I've already told you about those other two draft pieces we have out there. There's really a draft, 2018 draft link dump page where all the stuff that, that we've written and, and you know, had written on the site, 
anything that pertains to the draft this year. It is on there. If you've missed anything in the past, you can go catch up uh, by reading that page. I actually need to update it. I promise I'll do that tomorrow. Go check that out. All right. On behalf of myself, that is Richie, and that is BG. We will see you sometime next week.